If you're looking for success, it's in the details. Small hinges move big doors. And now your host, Karen Allen. Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of In the Details. Today, I am really excited for this conversation with a friend of a friend. It feels good to know that you're in good company just based on the people who surround you. But Stephanie Harrison is with me today. She's a former leader at Thrive Global, LinkedIn, also Deloitte, but currently the founder of The New Happy. Stephanie, welcome so much to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm so grateful to be here with you today. Yeah, we're going to dive in. Everybody knows like once you get onto the show, what we're doing is we're nerding out and everybody (laughs) gets to hear us do this. But also there's like so much inspiration that comes from hearing, you know, how you got to where you are. And I'm very interested to hear this because I was looking at your, your background and your passions. And I'm just thinking like, wow, like how did you get into this work? You know, studying happiness and and positive psychology, all that's like pretty new in this Mm. world. I remember when I stumbled on the term positive psychology and even post-traumatic growth. And I was like, oh my gosh, there are these things that are even helping me to understand myself better. And so it's such a new space. How did you get into this work? I love how you describe that because it is so true, right? When you have something, when you can name an experience you have with the right terminology or to gain access into that insight, it's so powerful. It feels like it unlocks so much for your own growth and transformation, right? So cool to hear that. Well, really, I think it was kind of similar to what you're describing. My journey into positive psychology started when I actually was at my most unhappy. And I think that's pretty common for a lot of people, right? It's when you're in that moment of feeling at rock bottom and you're looking around thinking, I need a different tool than the tools I've been using to get myself out of this. And I was really unhappy with my life and I didn't know where to turn. I didn't know what to do. And I happened to come across a book from the founder of the field, Dr. Martin Seligman, and I just loved it. It was so helpful, so transformational. And I knew that I wanted to explore that in more detail and figure out if there was a way to weave it into my life. But And at the time, what work were you doing? I was a management consultant and I was traveling around, you know, on a plane every four days and working really hard. And it was a great job for lots of people. It just wasn't a great job for me. It was probably one of the things that was... It wasn't aligned with my true passions and interests, clearly, as you can see from what I'm doing today. And so anyways, I... I didn't really know how to incorporate positive psychology into my life at that moment in time, but the opportunity came up about two or three years later when I decided to go to grad school. By that time, I was working at LinkedIn and I had moved from New York to San Francisco and I had established this whole other life. And so I ended up going off to get my degree in in positive psychology, which was an amazing experience. Yes. And how do you remember how you came across that? I remember for, for me, it was through option B written by Adam Grant and Sheryl Sandberg. And so that's where I remember it it wasn't even like I was searching for it because again, I didn't know that Mm. field of study even existed, but through a different avenue, this book that was talking about, and it was very interesting because Sheryl Sandberg's husband died a couple of years after my husband died. And I saw so many similarities. I remember writing in the book, it's on my bookshelf, like she wrote this from my journal. Like we are soul sisters. It was really interesting to see. And 
it helped me to see how broad grief is and that it's not this like narrow row. That's just these, you know, seven steps or stages or what have you, like it's, there's so much more to it. So once I saw those authors unpack what that meant, the terminology, also what it looked like, that was very helpful for me. That's when I took, like, I went straight into the rabbit hole. I was like, oh, here comes a swan dive, jumping right into it. What, what was that for you? How did you stumble on positive psychology? You know, it's actually my parents. My dad has always been really into this stuff and my mom as well. My mom was an Olympian. And so she's always been really passionate about learning and growth and development and all that kind of stuff. And so it was part of the the DNA of my family was that we always love to talk about these kinds of things. And my dad had read one of the books earlier and he kept passing it over to me being like, you should read this. Like, I think you might like this book. Why don't you read this book? And I kept resisting it. I was like, yeah, like no, how no, many I... years did that take? Stephanie, <laughs> like, to listen to your dad? <laughs> like I, I year, probably a year of, a year of persistent denying it. And it's so, so foolish. I was like, I'm going to handle this all by myself and Mm -hmm. figure it all out, which was such a, such a misguided attempt on my end. And then I finally eventually caved and picked it up and it was wonderful. And again, it was talking about these things that I had felt or experienced or that I yearned for or wanted. And then suddenly it's like this whole world opens up to you, these vistas of possibility. And for me, the idea of sharing that is really inspiring and personally very meaningful for me. Yes. I tell people uh, whenever I have to present like a keynote and how I got to this point of sharing the things that I do, I said, once I learned about the like the mighty power of positive psychology, but also the practicality of how we can do certain things to build on these positive characteristics. I tell them, I'm like, I'm shouting it from the top of the mountain. It's like, <laughs> I want everybody to know this. So you learned about it, your position, you were currently at LinkedIn. You decided to go to grad school and to study this. You studied at UPenn, which is amazing. It's a hub for this, right? So yeah. what was it like now coming in? It sounds like you were very open. What was it like to really really get into the research. Like that's the stuff that makes me glow because it really does build your confidence when you hear about scientific studies of people either harnessing these different tools, discovering new ways, all of that. So what was it like for you to be fully immersed into that world? I mean, I loved it. It was, it was the best year of my life up until that moment. I remember when I graduated, I literally cried on the plane the entire ride home after, like I was devastated. I just had the best experience there. And it was so amazing. I, I have always been, as you said, really interested in the research side of things and love getting into the nitty gritty. Like I, I still, a lot of my work now involves reading academic papers all the time and I absolutely love it. It's something I find really energizing and really interesting. And so for me getting to understand not only what the studies were telling us, but also what have all these amazing people with so much wisdom been thinking about and studying and breaking apart and identifying as core elements? And then how do all of these pieces fit together? It just became this giant intellectual puzzle that I found so enticing and interesting to dig into. Mm-hmm. And so did you find or discover anything about yourself during that process that started to come in conflict with what you were also learning about? Such a great question. I think for me, I had the real impetus for wanting to study positive psychology was I had confronted this part of myself through my unhappiness of, I always believed that happiness was one thing. And then 
when I achieved that version of happiness and I didn't feel what I expected to feel, I was devastated. And that was actually what inspired me to go and to study it more. And this question of, am I the only person who's felt this way? Is it something wrong with me? And like, I'm the weird one. (laughs) Or is there, is there maybe something, maybe this is a little bit more universal than just me and I can meet some other people who are interested in these things. And that's really what brought me there. So it was almost like I had that moment of confrontation that you're describing prior to attending. Mm. And then as I was going through my academic year there, it was about figuring out what had happened to me and then what the solution would be. And that's really what's brought me to where I am today. So that moment of realizing, Hey, I got something really wrong. And I'm curious about why that happened. That was a really interesting personal journey that I was on at that point in time. Okay. So a, we're soul sisters. <laughs> we're clearly you, we are you, very, me and yes. Cheryl Sandberg. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. And, and like, I'm just, I, when you said something and I got what I call truth bumps, right. I oh. forget that up from, but it just like came right over me we think that something is wrong with us when we experience some level of discomfort. And it's through that curiosity, am I the only one that I feel like we find community? Like we recognize that I'm not, I remember the moment that I was wallowing, I was so mad, I'm 29 years old, I'm a widow, blah, blah, blah. And then I read the statistic that there were like 800,000 new widows every year in the US alone in one country. And it really put things in perspective, like Karen, you're not the only one. Yeah. I was like, okay, so how do I, how do I get through this? But part of what I also did, what you did was, hmm, why am I wired this way? Like, why, what, why do I think? And I think we all kind of suffer from a very similar strain of uh, false belief. And so maybe our juice boxes were poisoned when we were younger and we were just all brainwashed. But I think we, we really in some way, shape or form have been taught or guided to believe that if you do these certain things and you check these boxes, that life will be easy or life will be good. And so we start setting these different goals, thinking that that will be our fulfillment. We will feel fulfilled. And it was when I, um, recently I watched Viola Davis. She did a special with Oprah when she mm-hmm. shared a new book. And she even had that moment where she reached all of these different levels in her career. And she was like, but why do I still feel unfulfilled or unhappy? So, I mean, people from all over really struggle with this. So what have you found is, uh, well, no, wait, hold on. I'm going to pause. I'm going to pause. I'm going to pause. Don't get me started. (laughs) I really think that is what I think would be valuable to unpack is you are calling this the new happy. What Mm. is the old happy? It's just exactly what you just described. It's the idea that if you get somewhere, you'll be happy. If you accumulate a set of accomplishments and milestones, and if you can look and be and behave and achieve and all of these things that are imposed upon us by all sorts of different forces, then you will experience lasting happiness. You'll never suffer again. You'll never have a difficult time. Everything will be absolutely perfect for you. And that is the core myth that I am devoting my life to breaking down, hopefully. (laughs) We need you. We need you. Okay. So it's the thing it's like, but, but that's, it's interesting. It's kind of like counterintuitive to how we're taught to achieve our goals in life. Set a goal, achieve those goals, go for that. But what you're saying is you can try to do that, but what, okay. So what's on the other side, if that's not the answer to happiness, if that's the old happy, if we're debunking that myth, what's the new happy? What I have defined the new happy as is essentially at its heart, it's 
using your gifts to serve the world. And that's our definition of happiness. And when we do that, we can still set goals. We can still achieve things. We can still be ourselves. We're doing it in a fundamentally different way, though, in a way that has a completely different intention that offers a powerful possibility for changing the world, for generativity, for compassion and for kindness in a way that lifts everyone up rather than prioritizing a few who can achieve. And that is my my new definition based on the research that I've done and the work that I've been doing. Mm, well, honestly, I feel like we've all kind of felt this. We think if we achieve something that that is going to, you know, make our life meaningful. We've, we've arrived, if you will. But the new happy, as you defined, is really more about, yes, you and your gifts and your talents and all those things that feel important to each of us individually. But the spin is using those to serve the world. And what mm-hmm. comes to mind is, oh, what is it called? Oh, the great work of your life by Stephen Copeland. And he talks Mm -hmm. about your Dharma. And there was a line in there that really spoke to me. It's like, because when our hearts are very altruistic and we want to help other people, it also at sometimes can feel burdensome because you know, you can't save everybody. You can't help every problem. You can. And in that book, he said, you don't have to save the world. You just have to serve your corner of the world. Well, and I was like, Ooh, right there in my heart. And it sounds like that's what you're talking about. Yeah, exactly. No, that's exactly it. I've never, I've never read this book. I'm going to have to check it out, but that's exactly it. It's about, we, I think that so often it's easy, especially over the last couple of years, right? Like it's so easy to look at the world and feel so hopeless and despairing about our future, about the possibilities that are available to people about, you know, the way we're living and treating each other. There's just an endless laundry list of things that we could focus on. And those are very real. I'm not saying that we should deny those at all, but that when we look at them in totality, it just can feel so overwhelming to know that you can actually make a difference on that. And what I think is a far more achievable, meaningful, approachable way to start addressing that is just as you said, how do you choose your area of focus that you can help to contribute to? And that can be from your home to your community, to your workplace, to your friends, to what you do when you go to a coffee shop and how you treat the people that you meet there. There are literally millions of possibilities available to us every single day. And they don't have to be you, you know, changing your entire life right now. They can start really small and they have a measurable impact on your well-being. Studies have found how much this sort of expression of altruism and kindness changes your physical, your emotional, your mental health. And it's the ultimate win-win in my opinion. Mm, Yes, absolutely. Okay. So you mentioned something that's important for us to really call out, maybe dive in a little deeper too, is that these emotions that we feel are natural, right? All of them, the full spectrum, you know, disappointment, anger, frustration, overwhelm, all of these different Mm. things, joy, all of that, they're natural emotions. And I think when sometimes people hear, oh, like be positive or, you know, think on the bright side or all of that, it, it defaults to toxic positivity because in that space, you know, you're denying real emotions, but I did see a post that you put up recently. It said, turn anger into action. And I loved it because what you did there was you kind of like, first of all, you gave permission to feel angry, right? Like it's okay. We don't have to feel bad when we feel angry. Like sometimes (laughs) you got to get angry, right? (laughs) For For example, but once we feel that big emotion, 
like anger, you said, turn it into action. It sounds like that's a, a, a hint, tip, hack, whatever you want on how to manage it. Can you break that down a little more? Like how would somebody turn anger into action? Totally. I think that, as you said, we have to, suppressing your anger doesn't work. It comes out in all sorts of terrible ways. And we know that because we can see the results of what that looks like in our society. We don't have healthy outlets and expression for anger and a way to manage that. And there's so much so much pain and suffering that could have been avoided if people had just been simply taught how to manage their anger more effectively. So the first thing is you have to, as you said, you have to let yourself feel it. I'm angry about a lot of things. And I'm also, I would say, a very positive person. Those things actually aren't necessarily in opposition because when you see the atrocities and the sadness and the suffering that's possible in the world, it's a good thing to get angry about that. It shows that you care. It shows that you believe that there should be a different way. So actually your anger points you towards what you care about and your values and your humanity and all of these things that are necessary for your well-being. It's then what you do with that. How do you take that anger and not either turn it inward on yourself or turn it outward to harm other people? How do you take it and turn it into an action? Because anger at its core is a biological response that compels you to do something. And I think a lot of the frustration that so many people feel is right now, a lot of anger is expressed through using our fingers and typing out our, our feelings or yelling at other people or, you know, putting more anger out into the world in a non-constructive way. Right. And I think that what could we do if we harness that feeling that's important and meaningful and needs to be honored as you're saying and did something with it, whether it's donating or sending, sending support, raising awareness. There's so many possibilities of actions that we could take. So that's really where that one came from. Yeah. I love it because you have an opportunity in that moment. Like when you notice that you're angry is first to develop like that self-awareness, right? Of like, how is this impacting me? And it's only through that initial awareness. Can you then pull yourself back into the driver's seat and say, okay, now what do I want to do? A lot of people maybe don't realize, I'm sure some of my listeners, at least after hearing me for a while, they, they will know this is that, you know, when you start to feel those emotions, it is, directly impacting your brain, like the space you're making good decisions from. (laughs) When you feel big feelings, it starts to send off different chemicals in your brain that may prohibit you from making sound decisions. So once you notice it, if you can drop into that awareness and not just respond from that place, you're already in a position of power. So true. That's such good advice. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I love it. Yes. Yes. I it's, Right now, honestly, I feel very fortunate to live during this time. I mean, I joke about this with my friends. I was like, I was not made for any other time, colonial (laughs) times. I I was not like, I don't, I can't imagine not having air conditioned, like all of that. Right. I know. But no, really, really for this time, because you, your parents had access to tools, like even being Olympian, like you understand mental performance from that space right? Um, your, your dad's interest in positive psychology. Like my parents didn't know about, you know, positive psychology. A lot, lots of parents did not know about Most, that. most people don't know most about it. Like, about it. Right, right. Alive today. Yeah, yes, totally. Exactly. Exactly. So the fact that you had some of those influences, you know, is awesome. I'm really glad that I found these resources, but regardless of where we started, the now that we're living in, 
is our generation. I feel like we are, we really are the healing generation because most of the generations before us didn't have the tools or the support, or even the, I would say the safe spaces to navigate all of this and right. And to find community. So it's part of being this healing generation is sharing tools and sharing knowledge. What would you say is one of the most powerful tools that you've come across in your studies or in research that has a significant impact on people's lives in a short amount of time? Because I do know that, you know, part of your work is like repetition builds us over time, right? Your neural pathways. But do you have any tools that make a more of an immediate impact for someone who's looking for this transformation? Yeah, such a great question again. Honestly, I would say that the thing, if there was one thing I could teach people and magically wave a wand and imbue them with uh, this tool and this quality, it would be teaching them how to accept themselves as they are and to be kind and compassionate towards themselves. I think that there's so much suffering that has existed from not only the fact that it's quite difficult to be a human being and to accept yourself, first of all, then as you're describing, so many people grew up and were raised and socialized in a society that did not actually extend that kindness and compassion to you. And therefore you internalize that and you start to feel that you are not good enough and that there's something wrong with you and that you're not worthy of your own kindness or care or love. And unfortunately, as you said, I think that that's part of our job in healing the world and ourselves in some way is learning how to extend that to ourselves. And really it's, it's so simple. It sounds almost like it's too simple to work, but there are so many studies that back it up. There's so much research behind it. And essentially all it is, is when you're feeling something like when you're upset or sad or frustrated or whatever it is, just simply look at that and say like, Hey, that's really hard. Yeah. I'm sorry. Like, you know, like that's really all it takes is the next moment that you're feeling unhappy or that you're struggling or things don't go the way you want them to. Instead of saying, you know, oh, toughen up or God, if only you were better, this wouldn't have gone this way or any of that other nonsense that we say to ourselves is saying, wow, that must be really painful. I'm so sorry. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm here for you. And again, it sounds so cheesy and so small, but it's this act of extending love to ourselves that then also facilitates our ability to enable that further out and to extend that out to other people too. Mm, That is such a good one. Uh, One of my favorite meditators, I listened to all of his like guided meditations, uh, Jeff Warren, I heard him do one and he was talking about this and he said, like, sometimes you just have to say to yourself, Hey, little human. It's okay. Like, and, and that really, you know, melted a lot of uh, inner criticism in me. Cause I'm like, wow, I guess I didn't realize how critical I am because it's the default, right? Like sometimes we're not even tuning into those thoughts to notice the narrative that we're creating. And I mean, that is so powerful, like showing kindness to yourself. As a matter of fact, it brings up another quote that I saw that you posted. It said, every kind thought transforms you. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, of course. Uh, Well, essentially, kindness isn't something that some people have and some people don't have. It's more like a muscle that we train. And you can choose to become a kinder person by behaving and thinking and acting in a certain way. And so every time that you extend kindness to other people or to yourself, you are creating this identity that reminds you that you are this kind of person. And moreover, to what you just said, you're 
transforming your brain in a really real way. You're changing your default reaction to stimuli, to stressors, to your response. And every time that you extend that outward, you're also reaping profound benefits for yourself. People who are kinder, they live longer. They have less inflammation in the body. They're happier. They have less depressive episodes. They're less anxious. Like the list literally goes on and on and on. And the opportunity is right in front of us. Like the opportunity for kindness is literally staring us in the face with our family members and our friends and the people who we come across. And every time you do this, you are going to make yourself happier and make somebody else happier at the same time. And then you're setting yourself up for a happier future. So again, like my, I feel like a lot of my work has been focused on what are these win-wins that we can cultivate and how do we find them as often and frequently as we can. So what are some of the ways that you mentioned like kindness will help with like inflammation? I mean, I, I know a little bit about this, but what are some of those real tangible results that come through our body based on our actions? Yeah, there's some really great research from uh, Dr. Barbara Fredrickson, who works out of UNC. And for the last, I believe it's about the last 10 years or so, she's been studying love and how it works in the body. And kindness is, you know, really just a manifestation of love. And essentially what happens is that it activates your parasympathetic nervous system, which is the antidote to your stress response. So it helps you to recover from stressors. And then over time, cumulatively, it actually is helping you to reduce all sorts of different challenges that come from being lonely, being isolated, having difficult experiences, going through trauma, navigating times when you have to really push yourself hard. And they've found so many amazing things that I think are really inspiring and they, they give us, as you said, like this proof of like, hey, this thing that feels so simple and so good and makes a difference in somebody's day, it actually is like, it really works. It's not just something that I feel. It's something that has is having a positive result in my life. And that to me is some of the coolest research out there and something Absolutely. that I find so exciting. Absolutely. We can notice the change in our body um, when we feel stress, right? When cortisol is totally. pumping, we feel sick. We feel like we can't, I don't know, see straight, lightheaded, all of that stuff, right? But we can also feel the response when we make someone's day. Yeah. We let someone like go in front of us in traffic. It's like these like small feelings. But dear listener, what I hope that you're like picking up on is that these are chemicals that are firing off. And it's either going to be the chemicals that not just make you feel good good, but also help your body to feel good and, or will break your body down. Like both are true. Both are true. And, and the, and the focal point of our attention, our thoughts is contributing to if the bad chemicals like cortisol are firing off and leaking into our system, or if the good chemicals like serotonin and dopamine and, and oxytocin are, those are coming out. Right. So I love this because it really does help you to see, Oh, it's not a nice to have like, no, it's, it very necessary and life-changing, right? Like life it's, and it's interesting. I always find it helpful also to look at the reverse. Like when you look at people who are lonely, they have one study found that I hope I'll get this right. But one study found that chronic loneliness is, has the equivalent health effect to smoking upwards a pack of cigarettes every single day. And we are made to be in connection with each other. That's how we are wired. And the more that we move towards that in these small, meaningful, but achievable ways, 
the more ha- the happier you'll be, the better life you'll have. And that's really like all that, all that it boils down to from my perspective. Yes. Yes. One of the ways that I love you're serving the world around you is in, in the corporate space. I think opportunity to help people flourish is tremendous when it comes to, you know, working for an organization, for a company. One, you're in a space of community, so you can help people thrive in a really big way faster because you strengthen that community. But also when you help to tie personal development to professional development, then you're helping them to be better as humans, right? Not just the job title that they hold. And so I love that you are bringing this conversation to the workplace. What I found though, in, in my space is that there's kind of like there's like three buckets of folks out there. There's, there's the people who are like, I'm all in. I believe in this, right? I know because it transformed me. And so I'm absolutely bringing this to the culture. Then there's another group where they're obviously like, they're totally disconnected from reality. They don't care about like healthy, really just focus on the bottom line for lots of reasons, their old way of thinking or what have you. But mm-hmm. then that middle group is what I find very interesting because they're open, but they have reservations or they want to, but they can't totally connect the dots. How are you helping organizations to see and to implement, you know, really wellness practices for their people to be healthier, not just because it's good for the bottom line, but because like, it is the right thing to do. (laughs) It's the right thing to do. And it also helps your business. So tell us a little bit about how you're working in that space. I love your analysis. It is so astute and so true to my experience as well. So I would say that for the middle group, what really does help is the hard science elements. So when you have a study that says, hey, we have a control group study where one team implemented these practices, another team did not, here are the measurable differences in not only their performance, but also their well-being. That kind of information is really helpful to hear. And again, my perspective is the more people that we move into the first group to feel, hey, this is actually really working and I want to evangelize it and share it, the better. So whatever it takes to bring people on the journey is my perspective. And I have really found that sharing that research and grounding in that at all times is the best way to communicate some of these ideas, especially for people who were perhaps socialized into a different way of working and who have specific beliefs about how they need to be in order to be successful in the world. I think that the real opportunity that I'm seeing now arising with companies is how do we transform the workplace to be this new evolution from where we have been and what what would it look like to build an organization for the future? And for me, what that looks like is grounded in compassion and humanity that is empowering of workers and employees and team members autonomy that supports people to bring out the best in themselves and that then facilitates and enables that for them as well. So the organizations that are really going to win in the future are the ones who are providing that for their people because there is no way, there's absolutely no way you are going to get the same performance out of one of your team members if they are in that environment compared to if you are suppressing their individuality, not letting them do what they want to, not treating them with compassion, you are going to get fundamentally different outputs. And even if you get in the short term, you know, a burst of effort from somebody, they're not going to stick around. They're going to leave. So you're going to be really ultimately shooting yourself in the foot there. So this, as soon as organizations can see the business advantage, it becomes a lot easier. But as you said, my real belief and what I see more and more leaders moving towards is this is the right thing to do. This is this is the 
it. This is the moral, correct, just yeah. thing. That's it. Bottom line. And that's the way I've been approaching it. And I'm really passionate about working with people who also believe that. And I'm very fortunate that I've had the chance to do that. That right there, that last piece <laughs> right there, right? It's like, I'm working with the people who already believe in it. I don't, I don't need to waste energy. I don't want to, let me rephrase. I don't want to waste energy trying to convince you because there are enough people who already believe it. They're just now looking for the tools and, and the support to be able to do it. I, anytime that I engage with a, a client uh, from that kind of level. I, I just let them know. I'm like, here, what I hope to do for you is to help you take care of your people by giving them the tools to take care of themselves. That's what it comes down to because my background's in HR. And the first thing they think is, well, how do I take all that on? How do I, you know, do all that? And it's like, you don't actually have to take it on. You just have to support them to help them flourish. You have to give yes. them the tools. You have to use this environment to pour into them because when you do that, everybody rises. Like that's it feels, again, we said this earlier, it's so simple. It's unbelievable. <laughs> well, it really, it really is that simple. I, I'm so grateful that we have this opportunity to chat. Oh. You are doing amazing work, Stephanie. Thank you so much. I have one, one more question for you. Finish the sentence for me, please. Happiness is helping people. Oh, Stephanie, I appreciate you. I appreciate your brilliance and the fact that you were brave and bold enough to even explore that when you found yourself in a dark place. And thank you for serving your corner of the world well. How can people connect with you? Oh, thank you so much. I'm so honored to have the chance to get to see you shine in this amazing environment too. What a privilege. You can find us at thenewhappy.com or on any social platform at New Happy Co. Excellent. Thank you so much, Stephanie. Listeners, connect, 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 especially if you're looking for tools as an individual or for your workplace. We heard it here. The new happiness is about serving and serving your corner of the world well. Until next time. This has been In the Details. If you like the show, tell a friend. For more shows like this, go to success.com slash podcasts.